You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Um, can you put up that picture that we were using for worship with the manger? I don't have a PowerPoint this morning, but that's just such a beautiful... Hey, there you go. Good. Well, it's on the back wall. As we uh, move into the message this morning, I just want to just remind you that this is a... Uh, beautiful season it's a wonderful season it's a it's a happy season and blessed but it's also a very difficult season for some people and uh, I really think that the Lord would have us to be you know really sensitive to the people that are around us um, that uh, are experiencing Christmas maybe for the first time or maybe for you know maybe they've experienced it many times this way before but there's a real sense of loss there Um, and when you reach out to somebody in love that's spiritual warfare. That's establishing light where there's darkness. And that's like, you know, that's, that's giving them a reminder of the hope that we have that is beyond um, what we're experiencing right now. So um, I just, uh, just think we should be uh, aware of the full range of things that are going on during this season and not just the good things. And especially not to become so inwardly focused or... Um, inwardly, you know, oriented that we're not aware of the people that are around us and the people that are um, struggling around us. God's given us a word of hope and God's given us love and comfort and uh, he wants us to share that during this time. So I just just want to remind you of that. And that's a result. Somebody wrote me a note this past week um, that was a member of our congregation uh, several years ago. And uh, that's an encouragement that I gave the church many years ago and it's stuck you never know what's going to stick you know but when she said that it just reminded me to remind you um, that we are the body of christ and we have something to offer um, during this time and uh, to be uh, really sensitive to the opportunities that god gives us to bring hope and blessing to others and um, and saying that it's just really good to have ed and uh, elizabeth and Catherine uh, mcpherson with us today we're just uh, really blessed and looking forward to um, saturday and uh, just a celebration of life, of Peggy's life, uh, as we gather together and sing songs of worship and share things to uh, memories that we have of her, but also, you know, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ um, that was so powerful um, as she approached um, the day of her homegoing. Um, so anyway, just great to have you guys with us today. God bless you. So I wanted to share a message this morning uh, and I've taught it, I titled it The Man uh, Who Amazed Jesus. And, uh, and as I've developed this sermon, that, that you'll see what I mean by it, but uh, that title uh, refers to something at the very end um, that I wanted to share. And um, I'm just going to share what God's given me, what, I, what he's put on my heart um, today. Um, I asked you last week or a week before last, I guess a week before last, that, you know, this is a season of wonder and awe. And how many of you are experiencing just a sense of wonder and awe? And I just, I didn't get that big of a reaction from everybody, you know? 
because it's so easy during this season of the year. I was driving down Broadway yesterday and reminded once again of the stress of the holidays, you know, because it was like the traffic was backed up from Brookshire's to Grande. I mean, it's like a solid line of cars going two miles an hour. Where is, what are we, in Houston or something, you know? And it's like, it's so easy to get caught up in that. And then I dropped into Walmart to get just a few groceries, not even Christmas shopping, and it is walled. And I'm reminded why they have parking spaces all the way out to Broadway, you know, a half a mile from Walmart. And it was like full. And I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, I need to be going to Walmart at midnight or something, not during the middle of the day. And it's so easy to get just distracted by so many things. Not only that, that we as grown-ups, as adults, sometimes lose that sense of wonder and we're we lose the just the significance of it and so this series that i've put together um, is all about that because the default position of man before god is amazement that's default that's like if we could see him as he really is right this moment we would be amazed and the fact that we're not always amazed is an indication that our ways are not his ways and we're not really seeing things as clearly as we as we should and there's so many different examples Uh, i'm thinking of uh, paul's um, prayer at the beginning of ephesians that the eyes of your understanding might be open that you might know the depth and breadth and length and 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 the and the the um to know what is unknowable how much he loves and how glorious he is and there are so many people throughout the bible that have been transformed by getting a glimpse of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I really invite you to do this sometime. When you're praying, just ask, say, God, let me see your glory. Let me see your glory. And there's been, I remember one instance for me, and it was pretty early on in my walk with the Lord, and I prayed that. And it was just like a, it was almost like a photo um, you know, flash that I just saw into the glory of God. I just saw it. And it was, uh, it wasn't just what I saw, but it's what I experienced as a result of that. Peace, you know, confidence, courage. Just by, just by seeing just a flash in an instant of the glory of God. And I believe that he wants us to do that. I believe he wants us to ask, and I believe that he wants us to see it, and I believe he wants us to be transformed um, by it. In uh, chapter 34 of uh, Exodus, um, there's a story of Moses. And you remember Moses. Moses is uh, um, just, you know, he's on the backside of the wilderness and he sees a burning bush. And, you know, he, to his great credit, he turns aside from what he was doing and he goes to the bush. And there's a voice that speaks to him from the bush. And that voice says, um, set my, go to Pharaoh and tell him, set my people free. He t- and, and, and Moses, he, here's what he doesn't say. Moses says, so who am I going to tell him, you know, said this? Because I certainly don't have the authority to say this. Like, who am I a messenger for? Who am I representing here? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. And that's all Moses had to go on. That's all he had to go on. He saw a miracle in a bush that was burning and not being consumed. He heard a voice that must have been just a phenomenal thing to hear. And all he had was, I am, has said, to set my people free. And he did it. And he did it. 
In Exodus chapter 34, Moses comes to the mountain. They have been through the plagues in Egypt. They have been uh, through the, the, uh, the dividing of the Red Sea. Um, they have not gone straight to um, Israel. God said, I don't want them to go straight to Israel. I want them to be you know, mine for a while because they're not ready for um, what they're going to face when they go into the promised land. And then they go to the mountain. They go to Mount Sinai. And the glory of God descends on Mount Sinai. And I'll tell you what that looks like. It didn't look like this. It didn't look like a manger with a baby in it. It looked like fire and smoke and lightning and thunder and an earthquake. And the people were terrified. And they said, Moses, you go talk to him. So Moses goes up into the mountain. And that's what he says to God. He says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God is like, you can't handle that, Moses. And Moses is persistent. God doesn't want somebody who just me- weakly says, you know, maybe it'd be nice for me to see your glory. He wants somebody who hungers and thirsts after it. Somebody who says, I- I'm not going anywhere until I see it. I want to I see your glory. I want to see the fullness of your glory. You told me that you are I am. I want to know what that means. And so the Bible says that God um, puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, so he finds like a crack in the rock of the mountain, and he puts him deep in that crack, and then he puts his hand over him, and the Bible says he causes his backward parts, his rearward parts, I guess that's King James, but his backside, we know what that is, to pass before him. And as he was passing before him, he declared his name and who he was and, and what he was. From that experience, Moses' face glowed. When he came down from the mountain, he was a sight to see. He had been transformed by the glory of God, by the presence of God. What a gift. He went up to see a wonder, and he became a wonder. He was transformed by what he had seen. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a guy named uh, Elijah. And uh, Elijah... Uh, was a prophet of God, uh, which meant that he was a warrior, and not just a physical warrior, but a spiritual warrior. Um, He was a man who was uncompromised. Um, He was a man who loved God, um, and he loved people, and he spoke the word of the Lord. And at that time, Israel was distracted by many gods, and there was enemies all around them. And one of the gods that they worshipped was a a, a god named Baal, B-A-A-L. And uh, that, another name for him is the God of the Flies or the Lord of the Flies. And um, it, he was, he's a filthy God. He's, a, he's an oppressive God. Um, he's a violent God. Um, he's a God that demands human sacrifice and never delivers. He doesn't love people. It's all about him. And there were people that were oppressed by that. And, and Israel had been kind of drawn off because they're drawn off by the... You know, the people that are around them, they're being influenced by the world and, and by these people, and these people worship Baal, and just to get along sometimes, you have to kind of put one of those little idols in your home. Anyway, Elijah got fed up with it. And he said, he, he, he brought the prophets of Baal together, and he said, 450 of them, and he says, let the God who is God answer by fire. The God, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so he put a, a sacrifice on the altar um, and, the, and, and all of the timber the, uh, on the altar and, uh, and the prophets of Baal came and they screamed to their God and they cried to their God and they, they danced and they uh, cut themselves and they, they called upon their God and nothing happened. 
And then it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah comes and he says, pour water on the wood. Pour, pour water, not just once, but over and over again until it's totally soaked. And he called upon the name of the Lord and fire consumed the altar. Elijah saw the glory of God and so did everybody else because he would not take no for an answer. He, wouldn't, he was not afraid to put it all on the line and say, God, I want to see your glory. He was not afraid. He would sooner die than see this false God glorified and people under the oppression and the bondage of that false God when the God of glory, the God who is God, wants to have a relationship and wants to manifest Himself. And so he put his neck on the line. And he saw the glory of God. David Wilkerson says, contrary to some Christians thinking, the glory of God is not a physical manifestation of some kind, it's not an ecstatic feeling that overcomes you, nor is it a kind of supernatural aura or angelic light that bursts forth. Simply put, God's glory is a revelation of His nature and His attributes. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for goosebumps. You'll get goosebumps. I guarantee you that. We're not, we're not looking for some kind of, a, of, a, of an experience um, that is going to be something that's outwardly, but it's something that is inwardly. It's God revealing Himself to us. And that's what the story of Christmas is all, of, all about. The story of Christmas is infused with elements like this, where God is showing His glory. That reading this morning, um, Linus's reading, actually, isn't it? That's, that's Linus's reading from, um, from Charlie Brown Christmas. And uh, how powerful that is. Every time I hear Linus um, say it, it's just so powerful. Why? Because it's the Word of God. And it's the truth. And it's not a fairy tale. Even though it's better than almost any fairy tale you could ever imagine. It's, it's real. It really happened. And when we, when we gather for um, Christmas Eve, that's all we're going to do is just read Scripture. The first time we did that, I was amazed at how powerful just reading Scripture, no preaching, no you know, enlarging upon it, nobody saying you know, this word means this and this word means that. It's just the Scripture, it's just the Word, and it just so impacts our hearts, and that's what we do when we gather together for our Christmas Eve service. And that is one of the, one of the readings that we'll, um, that we'll read for Christmas Eve service. And it's a story of God revealing Himself to man. What we saw at Mount Sinai, smoke, clouds, lightning, that instills something in us. And it instilled something in the shepherd. Right? When those angels appeared, what did it say? How did it say that the shepherds reacted? They were scared to death. They were scared to death. When Israel saw the, the God's glory on the mountain, how did they respond to it? They were scared, man. The word for that is phobia. That's the Greek word for the way that they felt. They were, they were feeling, they were afraid. And they had a phobia. They had a God phobia. Now God has put something within every one of us that wants to know Him. You can suppress it, you can deny it, you can harden your heart, you can turn your, uh, your uh, mind away from it and your heart away from it, but there's something within you that is restless, that is unsatisfied, 
that finds this life to be pointless unless you see him. And there's a desire that he's put within every one of us. Every culture on the face of the earth worships some way. Why? Who taught them to do that? Who told them that they had to do that? Nobody. It's our nature. It's something that God has put within us. But in the same way, we have this attraction to God. We have this fear of God. Not, I'm not talking about a healthy fear. Fear. I'm talking about a phobic fear. It, uh, it's visceral. I have a fear of heights. I think I've told you guys this before. I can't watch these YouTube videos where these guys are hanging off of these aerials and stuff like that. It just, you know, I just can't watch it. It's too much for me. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had um, some guys in to uh, replace the lights. These are electricians. Um, and we always get, like, um, lifts, you know, we, we'll rent a lift, we'll clear the chairs out of here, and we'll rent a lift and then, you know, go up and change the lights. These guys had a ladder, and it was a 16-foot ladder. I don't know how tall this ceiling is. Does anybody know how tall the ceiling is? So 25 feet. <laughs> so <laughs> this guy had a, had a ladder, and he brought it in, and there was one light that was acting up that he needed to look at, so he brought that ladder in and he climbed to the top of the ladder and he stood on the top step of the ladder and he reached for the light and I'm like I got to go in my office <laughs> I don't want to see this you know um, when uh, I worked for uh, Chuck Morris um, uh, some way way back and um, when he would build a house like he would like walk on top of the sills you know, like that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even watch it, but I couldn't, couldn't do it. It's a fear. It's a phobia. You know, it's something that's visceral on the inside of me. Now, I know that I can overcome it. I know that if electrician was my job and I did it on a daily basis, I would get to the point where it's, it wouldn't affect me that way because it's not really based on any experience. I haven't really fallen, you know, from any real you know, places. I just have this visceral fear. But this reverence for God is based on experience. It's based on something that you have seen that has impacted your life in such a way that you, you can't deny it. It's Like I said, it's, it's, it's internal. It's, it's, a, it's almost an involuntary reaction when you have seen what you have seen and you cannot explain it away and you cannot turn back from it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all with open face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. Just before Jesus was crucified, He's on His way back to uh, Jerusalem. He's already told His disciples um, many times um, that He's going to be crucified. He's going to be um, He's going to be beaten, um, he's going to be um, crucified, and he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. And he's not speaking a foreign language, but he is saying things to them which is foreign to them. Because they have come to believe that he is the Messiah. They have come to believe from everything he's said and all the ways that he's taught and amazed them over and over and over and over again. They have come to believe that he's the Messiah. And so when he says these things, they're like, what does he mean by that? Is that a parable? What, what is the point of that story that he's telling us? The point of the story is he is going to be crucified and he is going to, to rise from the dead. Crucifixion was, in, was, was to instill terror in people. 
It was to make people suffer, no, no doubt about that. But it was also to be a ghastly scene for anybody else that observed it happening. And especially people that were related to these people or in cahoots with these people or in some kind of uh, uh, relationship with these people. It was designed to be something that would stick with people for the rest of their lives. It was terror is what it was. And the Romans were good at that. You, wanna, you see a map of the, of the Roman um, uh, Empire? That, that whole thing was based on terror, on fear, on uh, persecution, on uh, an iron grip. They would go into a place and they would recruit people to work with them. But if you did not cooperate with them, if you were against them, they would show you what it meant to be on the wrong side of that. And they ruled by terror, and that's what Satan does. That is a tool of Satan to cause us to fear. To cause us to fear. To cause us to have a phobia. To cause us to have this internal, visceral reaction to things that causes us to be completely incapacitated. And Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, and he's told him what's going to happen. He told, told him what, what's going to come. And then he takes Peter and James and John. These guys are always mentioned together. They're always, you know, the inner core that Jesus had. The, the, like maybe his best friends, I don't know. People that he connected with, and they connected with him. Peter was Rocky. That's what Jesus, Jesus gave him a nickname. He said, you're going to be Rocky, what you're going to be. John always described himself as the apostle that Jesus loved. I used to read that as being kind of an exclusive thing, like John was, you know, exclusively Jesus' favorite. But the more I've walked with Jesus, the more I realize I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. We all are the disciple that Jesus loved. When I, de when I describe myself, I don't get why he loves me so much, but I am intensely aware of the fact that I'm his favorite. He just loves me. Peter and James and John, they go up on the mountain and they're with their teacher and they're with their master and they already believe that he's the Messiah and then something happens that is just as mind-boggling as what Moses was seeing in the mountain. It's just as amazing as what Elijah said, I want to see the God who answers by fire is the one who is the real God. And they go up into the mountain and it says, suddenly Jesus was transfigured before them. And his clothes became whiter than the noonday sun. Whiter, I think it says whiter than any, uh, any um, fuller soap or any you know, detergent could make it. Because they just have no way to compare what they're seeing. And who's with him? It says there's two people that are with him. These two guys we've been talking about are with him in the mountain. Moses and Elijah. And it says they're talking together to each other. And what are they talking about? They're talking about his death. That's what they're talking about. Elijah represents the prophet. Mo Moses represents the law. That's the experience of Israel. The God gave them a law and then he gave them prophets as well. He gave them the law to tell them what is pleasing to him and what is displeasing to him. And he gave them the prophets that would not shut up that were continually bringing the, the, uh, um, the Lord before them, were continually demonstrating who God was and what God's intention was. There were no compromise. And that's what he, he had in the mountain, and, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were talking to him about his 
coming death. And he was transfigured before them. When Peter, in 2 Peter, Peter writes, uh, uh, kind of referring to this, and he says, For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him in the holy mountain. And this Peter wrote at the end of his life. And this Peter wrote to encourage his disciples. He had that image burned into his conscience, into his mind, and he never forgot it. And it drove him, and it compelled him, and it defined him. And at the end of his life, as he is facing martyrdom, Jesus had already told him how he was to die. I'm not sure if he understood all of that, but he knew that something was coming. When you're old, they're going to bind you and take you places that you would not, do, do not want to go. That doesn't sound very, you know, happy, happy, you know, Jesus bless me. He was expecting that, but you know what he had more than that? He had that image of Jesus Christ transfigured before him. In 1 John, John writes it like this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the world of, word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's where he's coming from. That's, that's his experience. I'm talking about this visceral reaction that I have to heights. He has a visceral reaction to the presence of God. And it's not just these guys. There are so many other examples of these exact things happening where people are amazed and they're blown away by God. And we approach a season in the year like this, and, and it's easy for us to get distracted by you know, the, the, um, the lights and the, and the, the credit cards and the, and the crowds and, and all of this stuff, and we forget to, to take a deep look into the mystery and the wonder of God that was accompanied by angels proclaiming it over and over again to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds appearing in dreams to the wise men you had people traveling foreigners traveling all over the world to see this baby he hadn't even done anything yet which by the way how did they even know they knew because god had sent his people into exile into these countries and those people had done amazing things in those countries these guys are mag magi they're magicians that's where we get our word magician or magic from and that's what their job was and there was one king that had a dream and he woke up and he was troubled by the dream and he couldn't even remember what the dream was and so he called in his magi his ma magicians his um his seers and he said i want you to tell me what the dream was and i want you to tell me the interpretation of it is and if you don't you die that's not fair but there was an israelite who could you think those guys were impressed with that God? You think those guys were just like, oh, that's your God. And they're, they're like, that's God. <laughs> that's not just your version of God. That's God. That's the God that answers by fire. That's the God that delivers. That's the God that speaks wisdom to people and gives people understanding. And the king was blown away by it. 
And over and over again, we see these kind of things. Foreign countries who are affected by the living God, not just Israel. And that's where these guys got it. These guys seeing wonders in the heavens, and they relate it directly to Israel, and they go back to the sacred writings. What sacred writings? Jewish sacred writings. The Jews had brought their sacred writings there, and then in that, they had prophesied about the Son of Man coming, about unto us a son is born. They're reading the same scriptures. Foreigners. And man, they get on their camels and come. God revealing Himself. God has never been in a box. He will never be in a box. He is not going to be contained by the limitations of our own understanding. He is God. And His ways are not our ways. And that's to our discredit. That, is, that, that indicts us. His ways are not our ways. But there's something within us that seeks to know Him, that seeks to, to, uh, to, to, to understand Him, that seeks to be right with Him. There's something that He has put within us that is not passive. We come to the Christmas story, and it's just an amazing story, and how could it be any other way? How could it be any other way? It's not like a president or a dignitary coming to earth. It's like the one who made the earth coming to the earth to be a part of the earth. How could it be any other way? How could heaven not be involved in this? How could the angels stay in heaven when the Son of God and the the bright and morning star has come to earth? They're coming to earth too, man. And they're announcing... And they're comforting. What did they say to the, to the shepherds? When the shepherds saw them and they appeared to the shepherds, what did they say? The shepherds were afraid, right? And what did they say? What did he say to the, to the shepherds? Don't have a phobia about God. God is on your side. God's coming for you. God's coming to redeem you. Joy. 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 Real joy. We ought to sing that song. That song was not intended for it to be a Christmas song. That was intended to be sung all year long. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Put it on your calendar. Let's sing that in July, okay? Just, so, just to make a point, you know? That it's not, for, not just for now. It's not just for this event, but it's for all people for all time. How could it be any other way? John 1.9 says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So why don't we experience this? Why would I ask you, are you sensing a, a, a wonder? And of course, look guys, I, I mean, I couldn't preach this to you unless I had been impacted by it myself, right? So the God is like, I'm talking to, I, wanna, you know, I feel like God is saying to preach on wonder, and the first thing he's got to do is deal with me. It's like, are you experiencing any wonder, Joe? And I'm like, well, kind of, yes, you know? And he said, let me light you up. Let me, let me open your eyes. Let the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you might know because if you want to share this man you better have experienced it why do we not experience wonder you remember the story of adam and eve uh, in the garden of eden and god told adam before eve was made i'm pretty sure um, that you know you can eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree from uh, the the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Um, The tree of life they had complete access to. I wonder what that would have tasted like. Man, the the fruit from the tree of life. 
boy, I think we'll get to know. I think we're going to experience that at some point in the future. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said you shall not eat from that. Because if you eat from that, you're going to die. And since then God made uh, Eve and um, it said that he walked with them in the cool of the day and they fellowship with him and they had time with him. And for how many eons that happened, I don't know. But then the deceiver came. And the deceiver started to talk to them, not just her, but them. He was talking to both of them. Because they were right there together. The Bible indicates that, it, that what Eve did, she did exactly in the presence of her husband. The only difference was she was fooled, he was not. And he comes, and the, the, the deceiver comes and says, you know, what, what did God say? It's really important to know what God says. But he wasn't just talking about what God said, he was also talking about what God meant. That would have been the time to go and talk to God. But she carried this conversation on. She entertained this thought. And she said, God has told us that if we um, eat of the tree or touch it, which is an addition that she put in there. I don't know where that came from, but she was adding something to what God said. He didn't say don't touch it, he said don't eat from it. We can't eat from it and we can't touch it or we will die. And what did the enemy say to her? You won't die. Because God knows, and now he's beginning to cast doubt on what God's intention is. God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will become like God's, knowing both good and evil. Is there anything ironic about that? Because the Bible says they were made in the image of God. They already are like God's. They already are. God's not withholding some good thing from them. They're a marvel of creation. They're one of a kind in the, in the vast universe. There's nothing else that God created that it says was made in His image. These two are made in His image. And the enemy says to them, He's withholding something from you. And so she ate of it. And when she ate of it, He was with her and she gave Him some. And He ate, ate of it too. And then what's the immediate effect on that? They realized that they were naked. They were naked before. Did they not realize they were naked before? Or is there some other significance to that? Shame. Shame. Because they had done something now that they were responsible for. They had, they had defied God. They had turned their backs on God. And the result was that they were afraid. So God comes walking in the cool of the cool of the day and he's like Adam you know he's calling to Adam with that voice with that that voice that drawing voice that that voice that we were made to 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 listen to to hear to obey to trust and he says Adam and what did Adam do he was hiding he had covered himself with fig leaves I don't know if you've ever seen a fig leaf but it's not something you want to put on gentle parts of your body they're rough, they're prickly, you know? They're insufficient for underwear. And yet they had covered themselves and they were hiding. And God said, why did you hide? And he said, because I heard you and I was afraid because I was naked. Godphobia. Godphobia.
Why do we not experience the wonder of God? For the same reason that Adam hid himself is because we're controlled by fear. When Jesus rose from the dead, the angels aren't the only ones that said this. Angels say this all the time. Like the first thing that they say, if you ever see an angel, the first thing that he's going to say to you is, don't, be, don't freak out. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't run. Don't pass out. You know, don't be afraid. First thing that Jesus said to his disciples when he rose from the dead and he appeared to them in the, in the upper room, the doors locked, and he appeared to them and he said to them, don't be afraid. And listen to me, he wasn't just saying, don't be afraid of me. He was saying, don't be afraid of anything. If I'm not afraid of God, if I'm right with God, what do I have to fear? (laughs) Fear has no part. Every time the devil tries to use terrorism against me, it doesn't work. Because I know what his plan is. His plan is to keep me from doing what I should be doing in some way. And he cannot keep me from doing that. He cannot make me do anything. I am the one that makes the decision. And if I'm controlled by fear, I'm going to choose the wrong thing every single time. That's all terrorists are trying to do. They're trying to keep you from doing what you want to do or what you need to do or what you should do. Travel to a certain place. Be at a certain thing. Say a certain thing. Be a certain way. Be, be bold. He's trying to intimidate us. And listen to me. He has no power over you. If you are in Christ Jesus... That's the remedy for fear. That's the, that's, the, that's the healthy place to be. What keeps us from seeing the glory of God? That kind of fear, that kind of shame. What's another one that keeps us from seeing the glory of God? Is that God is said, do you believe this? God is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to see me. I want to reveal myself. Do you believe that he's saying that to us? So what keeps us from responding to that? When Jesus is telling this, the parable of the sower, he talks about um, the, the um, seeds that fell among weeds. And what did he say that those weeds were? Thorns. I'm sorry, thorns. The cares of this world. Why don't we see the glory of God? Because we are so covered up with so many other things that we have said is important and stuff that I have to do and all of that. Jesus said to Martha, he said, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things, but Mary has chosen the best thing and it will not be taken away from her. Anybody who seeks to be at the feet of Jesus and to behold the glory of God and that asks like Moses did and, demand, and, and, and puts it all on the line like Elijah did, will see the glory of God. It will not be taken from them. It will not be taken from them. We're blinded. Another thing that blinds us, that hardens your heart, and it's like you cannot selectively harden your heart. If your heart is hard, it's hard. It's not just hard toward God, it's hard toward people, it's hard toward yourself. It's hard. It just gets to be hard. And that is sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the hardening effect that it has on your heart is not something that you're in control of. You may not even be aware of it. That's the worst thing, is when you don't know what you don't hear and you don't, you don't know what you don't see and you don't know what you don't feel because you're not feeling it. And that's what keeps us from that sense of, of awe and wonder is sin. I'm not just talking about the shame of sin. I'm talking about the effects of sin of allowing sin into our lives and allowing sin to find residence in our lives. 
devil always tempts us with things that are pleasant and that appear to be good and seem to pay off and seem to be something that we can, you know, enjoy. And shortly after we fall, shortly after we give in to that, he begins to accuse us based on that. He tells us it's no big deal. And then once you're guilty of it, then it's the most important thing on the face of the earth. It's who you are. It's your identity. Such a liar. And then finally, the thing that keeps us from a sense of awe and wonder is self-preservation. We are, that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid to die. We're afraid to give up ourselves. We're afraid to put it in his hands. We're afraid that if I say, God, whatever you want to do, that he's going to make us, call us to do something that we don't want to do, that we're going to be miserable at. And so we blind ourselves to the glory of God. We somehow distract ourselves or willfully turn ourselves, our, our attention away from the glory of God so we can do what we want to do, so we can be what we want to be, so we can be as God's. But we're not omnipotent. We're not omnipresent. We're not omniscient. We're not all the omnis that God is. And that's, that's terrible, man. To be in that position and lack all of those things. We're not God. We can be godly, but we're not God. So, um, I've had this experience uh, several different times. Um, but especially after my mom passed away and after my son passed away, uh, when I would dream, have a dream of them. And uh, when I dreamed about my mom after she passed away, she was, she was my mom. I could tell who she was, but she was radiant. There was just something about her eyes, her skin. She just, was, she just have you ever seen somebody like that that's just so happy? They're just so happy, you know? <laughs> I know, it makes you sick sometimes, you know? And I realized that that's, what she, that's how she looks right now. Had the same dream about my son, Josh, and he was so happy, he was laughing. Almost every time I've had a dream about him after he's passed away, he's laughing, he's carefree, he's at peace, he's fearless. And you know why that is? Do you know what is radiating out of them? And I know, these are dreams. I'm not trying to make some big doctrine out of this. I'm just telling you how God comforted my heart after I lost people that I loved so much and didn't even think I could go on without them. Do you know what they're radiating from? In Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, it says, Oh, God help me. And I saw, he's, he's, he's talking about the new Jerusalem. He's talking about the city of God. He's talking about heaven, but heaven is not in some distant, you know, far-fetched outer space thing, but heaven, in the, in the presence of heaven. And he's describing it, and he says this. He says, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light all nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night 
there. You know what my mom's glowing from? She's glowing from and in the presence of the light that the city doesn't need any moon or, or sun or anything like that. It's a beautiful day outside. And that sun is bright and brilliant and it somehow just lightens me every time I see it unless it's 105 degrees in the middle of the summertime. But like right now on a cool, cooler winter day and a brilliant sunlight and Jesus shines so much brighter than that. She's been in the presence of the one who was transfigured before the apostles on the mountain. It's him. It's he is the one. He is the one. The, he, she has been in his She hasn't just seen the glory of God. She's seen God. She's seen his attributes. She's seen his glory. She's seen his goodness. And she's absorbed that. And she's transfixed by that, transfigured by that. My words are so weak to, to, to even begin to describe what John is trying to describe here in the book of Revelation. Moses saw it in his face glow. You know what the people said when he came down from the mountain? Please put something over that. Put a napkin over it or, or something, you know? It's weird. <laughs> we, we don't like it. Why do we not like it? Because you're afraid of God. They've seen him face to face. And so is Sam. So is Peggy. These are people that we know, that we've walked with, that we've, that we've spent time with. And now what, is, what are they experiencing? Just like that. Look, what is it? Just a few hours ago, right here, and now they're experiencing that in the presence of God. They're experiencing the transfigured. He doesn't have to put a napkin on it. He doesn't have to, to, um, to, to, uh, to turn it down or, or tune it down. They can take it in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's the same one that Moses saw in the mountain. Same one that answered Elijah by fire. It's him. It's him. The central fact of the universe. I am. So let me close with the story about the guy that amazed Jesus, okay? Um, because as I'm doing this, I'm, I'm looking at, like, amazement, and there's, I don't know, I don't know how many references there are to people who were amazed or confused or confounded or they fell as dead men. There's all these different kind of reactions to being in the presence of the living God. Um, John says nobody has ever seen God, you know, but we have seen him in Jesus Christ. And that is the very, he's the very image of God. Um, without all the pyrotechnics, you know, in the form of a human being, that when they saw him, they saw God. But then I saw this about Jesus being amazed or marveling. At something same word that they marveled at God God marveled at a man do you know who I'm talking about it's a, it's a guy that's um, a centurion and this is in this this uh, the story in, is in Luke chapter 7 uh, verses 1 through 10 and a centurion is a is a Roman uh, commander um, and centurion refers to the fact that he commands a hundred uh, people um, you can do a study on this it's really interesting um, but every instance of a centurion that I found, they were really amazing people. They were, they were like um, spiritually kind of ahead of their time. You, you remember the guy that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified and uh, everybody else is mocking him and all of this and Jesus dies and the, the lights go out um, and there's an earthquake and the centurion is the first one after Jesus' death to make the profession. He says, surely this man was the son of God. 
And Cornelius was also the, the one that um, um, Peter was sent to his house. He was also a centurion. But this guy, I'll just read it to you. It says, after he had finished saying these things, he's been teaching, um, and then he goes into Capernaum. Capernaum was a real mixed bag. Um, a lot of people there kind of thought they knew who Jesus was, and so they're not very impressed. You know, they're not blown away. They're not in awe. They're not marveling, you know, at Jesus. Some are. Many are not. And he's, he's kind of limited in what he can do there because they, they just don't seem to get it or want to get it but so he goes into Capernaum and it says now a centurion um, had had a servant who was sick at the point of death um, and this servant was highly valued um, to the centurion so chances are the centurion is a gentile he's, he's probably a Roman maybe not necessarily um, Roman but he's he's somebody that is a is a soldier for the Roman army and probably not uh, an Israelite um, and his servant probably is a, uh, um, an Israelite. And he's sick and he's highly valued by the centurion. Now the centurion had a servant who was sick. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, He's worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is... And he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now that's remarkable. This guy, the, the, the Jews were not fun to be around. They, did, they didn't suit themselves well to, cap, to uh, occupation. And it didn't end well either. And so this guy, he's got them in his hair day after day after day, but he loves Israel. I can't explain that. And he loves his servant. And so he sends the elders of Israel to, um, uh, to, uh, on his behalf, and they said, this guy has not just, doesn't just love Israel, but he actually built our place of worship. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And when I say to one, go, he goes. And to another, come, he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. I've been talking to you about all the ways that God amazes us. How would you like to amaze God? How would you like to be like one that God looks at? You know what you say when, when you see something like that? You're like, wait, what? How would you like to be somebody that God, when he sees you, he's like, wait, what? They believed. This centurion is based it all on his, on his uh, military training. But he knows what authority is about. And he knows that Jesus Christ is in authority. And Jesus is amazed at that. That's what I just, I'm just bringing it to a cl close here today. We need to have more of a sense of amazement of God. But I guarantee you, when you get that sense of amazement with God, and when that is the central truth of your life, and the central driving point of your life, not your phobias, not your fears, but your, the revealed glory of God in you, He's going to marvel at you. Wouldn't you want that to happen? Wouldn't you want it to be that way? 
Wouldn't you want it to be like God looks from heaven and he sees this guy? There's always God's dream to have people outside the nation of Israel. He said, I'd have sheep that you know not of. This is one of them. This is one of them. I want to be one of those. Let's stand together and, and we're going to pray. And if you want prayer this morning, um, I'm here to pray for you. Um, Caleb, I'll be on this side for prayer. Caleb and Emily, I'm sorry. Me and Becky here in the middle. If you want prayer, you come. We'll pray for you. We're going to worship for a few minutes. And then, uh, then we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Do one of those uh, that you did during worship. One of those uh, Christmas worships. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to sing that you're my God. You're all together, me, all together working, all together wonderful to me. Oh, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy. You're all together wonderful to me. Oh, here I am to worship, and here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. And I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I see. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. And I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I see. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. Better is one day in your course. Better is one.
There is one day in your course, a thousand elsewhere. Oh, better is one day in your course, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your course, a thousand elsewhere. Oh, better is one day in your course, better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your course than thousands elsewhere, thousands elsewhere. Mm, better is one day with you, Jesus. Better is one day with you, Jesus, than a thousand elsewhere. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. Christ the Lord for I want to invite you guys to begin uh, to pray for this coming year. We're going to have a season uh, in January, first part of February, of uh, gathering together for prayer probably on Wednesday nights or another night that fits, um, just to seek the face of the Lord. I, I, just, I just feel like that it's time for us to um, just really call upon the name of the Lord, to put our hearts and our minds together in agreement 
um, that this place would be a light as he wants us to be a light, that this house would be filled, um, that God would be glorified in TCF. Um, he's been so faithful to us in the past and he's been so good to us in the past. But I tell you, man, he's always looking forward. He's never looking backwards. And he's looking to what do we want? What are we going to ask of him? Let's ask some big things together. We want to see his glory and we want to demonstrate his glory in the earth. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you reveal yourself to such as us, Lord, such as we. That it pleases you, Lord Jesus, to take vessels like us and fill us with the glory of God. Vessels that you make vessels of honor, Lord. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would cause us, Lord, to have that same um, heart that Moses did and that Elijah did and so many others, Lord, that you used so mightily that they weren't satisfied with anything less, that they, they sought your face and they, and they pursued you, Lord, even as you pursue us. And they, they, they had their treasure in heaven, Lord Jesus. I pray for each one of us that we would have that same thing. And, and, I, and I finish, Lord Jesus, by praying what I've talked about to begin with. Send us forth into this world realizing that this season is not always a happy season for people. There are hurt and broken people out there, Lord, that need a touch of comfort, a word of encouragement, a kind um, uh, voice, Lord, speaking into their life. And help us, Lord, to be sensitive to that. And for you to be glorified in it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bring offerings, worship to my King. And no one on earth deserves the praises that I see. And Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. And I bring an offering of worship to my King. And no 